The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. This morning, uh, Colossians turns our attention to the topic of evangelism. The term evangelism comes from the Greek word euagelizo, or euagelion, and it's frequently translated gospel or good news. To do evangelism means to bring good news, the joyful tidings. In Scripture, it's typically talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of God's kindness towards sinners, that he sent his son Jesus to die for us, that we would share that. And so evangelism is simply sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with hopes that the hearers might be saved. As I was preparing for this sermon, I, I looked to, online to see what are the different approaches to evangelism. And there are, there are many out there. There is open-air preaching evangelism, like the Billy Graham Crusades. There is door-to-door evangelism, like Evangelism Explosion, if you've heard of that. Lifestyle evangelism, friendship evangelism, tract evangelism, handing out gospel tracts, little pamphlets that explain the gospel. There is, of course, our favorite, tele-evangelism, right? There's radio evangelism, which is extremely uh, effective in closed countries. There's internet evangelism. This one was new for me. There's phone evangelism. Evidently, people just pick up the phone and dial a number and share the gospel. So everyone pull out your phones. No, I'm just kidding. There is personal evangelism, street-side evangelism. Uh, There's even one that I never heard of before called treasure hunt evangelism. And what happens in this kind of sounds fun. What happens in treasure hunt evangelism is is a bunch of Christians get together and they pray to God, Lord, who is your treasure in this city that you want us to seek out? And so they will pray and pray and pray. They'll, They'll listen for signs. And so they'll say, okay, God wants us to share the good news with a five foot six blonde female. And so they'll go out looking for a five foot six blonde female and say, you are God's treasure and he's looking for you. I came across a website that had 145 easy and creative and fun ways to do evangelism. There are many ways to do evangelism. What is your way or your ways? How do you share the good news of Jesus Christ? What might be an even better question is, do you share the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you participate in evangelism, in the sharing of good news? When is the last time you have told someone the good news of Christ, what he has done for us with hope that they will come to know him? I think if we're honest, many of us would confess that we rarely, if ever, share the good news of Jesus Christ. There are many reasons for it. One is that we get so caught up in ourselves that we seldom have time to love others. Another reason is that maybe we're afraid that we don't know enough about God. We don't know enough about Jesus to talk to others about it, and we might somehow mess it up. Or maybe we just feel that the workplace or the school are are not appropriate places for sharing the good news of Christ. We're afraid that we we will discredit ourselves professionally. 
George Barna, who is a Christian pollster, did some research. And he came out with this statistic, and I can't remember what year it came out, but this is what it says, and I'm quoting him exactly. He says, adults are most likely to claim they have a responsibility to share their religious beliefs with other people if they live in Birmingham, Alabama. That perspective is least common. The perspective of sharing your faith is least common in Providence, Rhode Island, and Green Bay, Wisconsin. If anyone needs to focus, if any church needs to focus on the topic of evangelism, it is the church of Green Bay, Wisconsin. And while there might be many different methods to doing it, in the passage today, Paul simply places forth two steps to evangelism. The first is to talk to God about people. And the second is to talk to people about God. Is that it? It's that easy. Talk to God about people and talk to people about God. That is the entirety of the sermon, but I'm not done as you know. So, <laughs> sorry, all the second graders are like, yes, it's shorter than I thought it was going to be. Anyways, um, please open up to Colossians chapter four. Um, we'll be looking at verses two through five. It's page 985 in the Red Bible, and if you have the Children's Bible, it's page 1,459, 1459. And as you turn there, I want to apologize. We printed the bulletin on Friday, and the outline has changed significantly, and so just follow along on the screen uh, in front of you. But as we dive into this, I want to remind you where we've been in Colossians in recent history. In Colossians 3.17, Paul says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so Paul tells us that in all that we do, we should give thanks to God, that we should honor his name, do everything in his name, which means giving glory to God in all that we do. And then he shows the practical application of that in the home in our marriages, and in our parenting. And then he shows it in the workplace, as Chris talked about last week, working for the Lord and not for men. This week, he applies living for the glory of God in the context of our relationships with unbelievers, with those that would not profess faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're reading today. So follow along with me. Colossians 4, we'll start in verse 2 and go through verse Six Colossians 4, 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that as we come together and think about this topic of evangelism, Lord, that you would, uh, that you wouldn't drive us towards guilt and shame, God. We know you wouldn't do that, Lord, but that you would drive us towards understanding the great privilege we have of proclaiming a salvation that all of us need. Pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts mightily today. We pray this in Christ's name. 
Amen. In verse 5, Paul gives an interesting term to unbelievers. He calls them outsiders. They are people that are outside of the faith, outside of God's true church, outside of the blessings of the gospel, outside of the hope of salvation. Those that are outside of the power and beauty of the cross. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Do you love the world as God loves the world? Do you love your neighbor as God loves your neighbor? Do you love your teammate, your classmate, as God loves your teammate, your classmate? God desire is that outsiders would become insiders. And this happens through your evangelism. It is the power of God that changes hearts, but he does it through your evangelism. Colossians 1, 3 tells us that we all belong to the dominion of darkness, but God has transferred us into the kingdom of his son. That is our hope for all people, that we would come and be messengers of this great gospel of salvation, that we would be evangelists for this good news of Jesus Christ, that outsiders might become insiders. And we do this as Paul lays out in two steps. First, talking to God about outsiders. And secondly, talking to outsiders about God. Let's focus on that first one, talking to God about outsiders. In my opinion, this is the easiest of the two steps, to pray to God and to to petition for others. And yet this is probably one of the most neglected things we do. In verse 2, Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer. He's urging us to pray continually, to devote ourselves unremittingly to constant prayer for those who do not know him, for those that are outsiders. Now, this doesn't mean that you just sit at home all day and pray and pray and pray, but that throughout your day, on a regular basis, daily, you are praying to God for those who do not know him, those that are outsiders, those that are lost. Paul exhorts the Colossians to do this, and he exhorts us to do it because he knows that prayer does not come easy. I think if we took a poll in here of how many of you pray as much as you wish you prayed, I think a good 90% of us would say, I could do better. I would like to pray more. Paul knows that this is a struggle for us, and that's why he exhorts us to pray continually, to devote ourselves unremittingly to prayer. You know, one of the questions I asked in sorting through this is, why are we often so prayerless? Why do we not have this great burden to go to God in prayer? And I think there are many reasons, but one of the major reasons, and maybe the overarching reason, is that we have too inflated a view of ourselves and too deflated view of God. If we understood our absolute helplessness, our absolute powerlessness, and God's absolute power, it would drive us to our knees. And many times, because of our deceitful hearts, we think that we have everything in control. And in terms of evangelism, we think if we just share the right message, if I just use the right technique, if I'm just winsome enough and happy enough and loving enough, that person will come to trust in Christ. But the reality is we are powerless. And this smacks us in the face when we are deathly ill, doesn't it? This 
smacks us in the face when we are on our last dollar. It is a reminder in those times that we are completely helpless and we turn to God in prayer, but it is as true in the good times as it is in the bad times. In fact, I think your prayer life is a reflection of how you understand God. And I think for you and for me, if you would say prayer is a struggle, we need a bigger understanding of the power and grace and mercy of God. We need a bigger understanding of our absolute dependence on him for all things, including evangelism. Our hearts are so distracted by schedules, by the million things we have to do. And so we have to remember the power of prayer and our powerlessness and our need for God. But we also have to make prayer a priority in our life. There are some of you here who, who, who devote great time to prayer. I know you do. I know there's lots of people who are prayer warriors. For me, it's work. I don't know about you, but it's work to get there. But what I see is that no one has ever floated into a prayer-saturated life. No one woke up and said, wow, I just pray all the time. How did this happen? It doesn't just float into prayer, but it is something that is intentional, that is incorporated into their life, and it grows into them. And suddenly prayer becomes easy to them. Martin Luther was quoted as saying that every morning he would get up and he would pray for two hours. And when he was really, really, really busy, he'd get up and he'd pray for three hours. Prayer was something that he had programmed into his life. I talked to different people and they have different methods of incorporating prayer into their life. I know some people, they say, you know what, when I'm in the car, I turn off the radio so I can spend that time praying to the Lord. That wouldn't work for me because I'd be praying imprecatory psalms on the other drivers like, Lord, cast them down, right? But some people, that they turn off the radio. This is a time of prayer. For some people, they have a, a postcard of people to pray for, and they put it by their bed, and every night they pull it out, or every morning they pull it out and pray for those people. For some folks, they set a timer, 15 minutes, Lord, I'm going to sit down, turn everything off, all the electronic devices, and do, devote myself to prayer. Sometimes people have a schedule, a weekly schedule, Monday through Sunday. They list out people that they want to pray for because there's so many, and they list them out to different days so that they can go through and pray for those people. It doesn't matter what your method is. Those are some ideas. The, the, the point is, is that we need to be intentional in prayer because none of us just gravitate in towards it. It takes intentionality. And so we are to pray continuously, steadfastly, for those that do not know the Lord. Secondly, we are called to pray watchfully. Verse 2 again. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. This watchfulness has a sense of watch out, be on guard, be aware, be attentive to what is out there. Like a guard that is looking out over the horizon, looking for the enemy to approach. Watch out, be attentive, be on guard. We must be observant of those whom God has providentially put around us. Those that he might want to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. There are so many times in the day, I don't know about you, but where I'm just thinking, you know what, I'm just playing basketball or I'm just, you know, picking up a carton of milk or I'm just doing this or that. And I'm so inattentive to what God might be doing around me. And so here he says, you must be watchful. There is an urgency to this. There should be an urgency to our prayer. 
Um, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, once told his students, if I had my choice, I wouldn't send you to school, talking about seminary. He said, I'd send you to hell for five minutes and you'd come back real soul winners. I don't know about you, but in my heart, I often don't want to think about hell. I don't want to think that those that I love that have turned away from Christ, that do not know Christ, that have never turned to Christ, their eternal destiny is hell. I don't want to think about that. It's not comfortable to think about. But just because I'm uncomfortable with it, and maybe you're uncomfortable with it, doesn't mean it's not true. Throughout the scripture, Christ tells us again and again, the wages of sin is eternal death. That hell is not something to be laughed at. And hell is not to be forgotten. And that is the eternal destiny of those that we rub shoulders with. Those we love if they do not know Christ. Practically, if you believe in hell, evangelism will explode. There should be a fervency and a seriousness to our prayer. You know, many times... New Christians are high in zeal for sharing the gospel and low in tact, right? They're just going out. They're like a a bull in a china shop, right? But that is far greater than what happens to mature Christians who are often low in zeal and high on tact. We need a fervency for the lost. We need to be reminded today through God's word that those that do not know him are perishing and going to hell for all eternity. And this must drive us to go and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. I love Paul's zeal in Romans 9. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. We must pray continuously, watchfully, urgently for God to come and save the lost because we cannot do it. It is God who makes dead people alive. It is God who makes the lost found, the blind see. And so we must pray to God with zeal, with urgency, with watchfulness that he would come and save those around us. So we're talking to God about unbelievers. Thirdly, we must pray thankfully. Verse 2, again, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, throughout the book of Colossians, maybe you've seen this, but thanksgiving is a dominant theme. Paul either reflects a heart of thanksgiving or tells us that we should pray with thanksgiving because it is the remedy to so much error in our life. As we look through the scripture, thanksgiving is is the remedy remedy to idolatry, right? If you are thankful and you're content and you're happy in God, you will not look other places for your satisfaction. Here he says thanksgiving is the remedy for a lack of evangelism, for a lack of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll explain how that works in a little bit, but, but one of the things I've shared with you before is that every one of you is created in the image of God. And because you are created in the image of God, you are created to proclaim good news. Each and every one of you, each and every person throughout the face of the earth is an evangelist for something. 
They're an evangelist for the thing they most unashamedly cherish. My brother Richard, who lives in St. Louis, if you get on the phone with him, you know what he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about the St. Louis sports, right? Maybe it's the St. Louis Cardinals, boo, I know, the St. Louis Blues or the St. Louis Rams, and he'll talk about how this year is their year. And, and you know, sometimes it's true of the Cardinals, but there are not so much other teams. But he's an evangelist for those sports, and it's not a bad thing. But what you see is that everyone is an evangelist for something. All you have to do is look at your Facebook posts, look at your bumper stickers, look at your conversation. If you don't know what you're an evangelist for, just ask someone else. They can tell you, okay? The point is this, is that all of us are evangelists for the thing we most unashamedly cherish. You get that? Now, here's how Thanksgiving plays into it. When we focus on thanking God for his gifts, the gifts that we are so tempted to ignore, so tempted to look over, so tempted to take for granted, when we thank God that he has saved a wretch like me, when we thank God that he would give us food even when we don't deserve it, when we thank God that he would give us a church community that cares for us, that we can care for, when we thank God for the beautiful son, when we thank God for our husbands and for our wives and for our children, when we thank God for two legs to walk, when we thank God for two arms to throw and to work, when we thank God for eyes to see the beauty of creation, when we thank God for ears to hear the glory of music, when we thank God for a throat to sing his praises, when we thank God for all things, guess what happens? We cherish him. We cherish him. And each and every one of us is an evangelist for the thing we most unashamedly cherish. And so Paul tells us that we must focus in prayer on thanksgiving, that he would become the surpassing joy of our heart, that we might share him with others. And so we must pray continually for outsiders, pray watchfully for outsiders, pray Thankfully, that God would be exalted in our hearts, and we finally must pray missionally. Verse 3, Paul says this, At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door. Now, let's pause there. Paul is in prison. And I don't know what romantic, well, I don't think anyone has romantic views of prison, but I don't think it was good as prison today. My guess is there wasn't running water in a cell. There wasn't cable TV. The worst criminals of society were there with him. And yet God prayed, I'm sorry, Paul says, pray for a door to be open. And the door to be open that he's praying for is not his prison cell door. He prays that a different door might be opened. Again, verse 3, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul prays for an open door for the word of God to be spoken. Maybe that's a meeting between him and someone. Maybe that's a conversation that turns into a spiritual conversation. But Paul is praying for the opportunity to unfold the mystery of Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul is praying that their hearts would be opened as well, that they would receive this good news of Christ, that they would turn to him and treasure him 
and find salvation in him. We're called to pray for open doors. Pray for open doors for missionaries that go overseas. We just sent Ben and Lindsay off. Actually, they're not gone yet. But when they go over to to where they're going, I can't say where. When they go over there, that we would pray that they would open doors to share the gospel. And that people would have open hearts to hear it. Pray for each other. That we would have open doors in our workplaces. Pray for your church. Pray for your pastor. That he might clearly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that hearts would be open to hear the good news of Christ. Charles Haddon Spurgeon is probably the greatest preacher England has ever had. He has been called the Prince of Preachers. And although he was known as a great preacher, Spurgeon knew that what made his ministry great was not his preaching. One time a visitor came, I think this actually happened on multiple times, but a visitor came to Spurgeon's church and Spurgeon asked the man, he said, do you want to see the powerhouse of this church? Do you want to see the powerhouse of this church? And then Spurgeon took the man downstairs below the sanctuary into the basement of the church, and he opened the door where 300 people were praying that the Holy Spirit would use his words to transform the hearts of those who hear. Spurgeon declared, here is the powerhouse of this church. Spurgeon later said, he said, we had prayer meetings that moved our very souls. Each one appeared determined to storm the celestial city by the might of intercession. Spurgeon understood that even though he was the prince of preachers, what was needed was princes of prayer. He goes on and one of his sermons, he says this, and you can read along on the screen. He says, shall I give you yet another reason why you should pray? I've preached my very heart out. I could not say any more than I have said. Will not your prayers accomplish that which my preaching fails to do? Is it not like that the church has been putting forth its preaching hand, but not its praying hand? Oh, dear friends, let us agonize in prayer. I can't tell you how many times I have gone home and said to my wife, that was a pathetic sermon. That was horrible. Did it make any sense at all? And she will say, oh, really? So-and-so said that really, that God really used that in their lives. You know, there is something happening that is transcendent in the preaching of God's word. Something that is bigger than me, that is bigger in you, than it is the working of the Holy Spirit. And we're reminded here to pray for God, to open the doors of our heart, to open opportunities that we might proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have opportunities to pray at home. You can pray during the service. And I know that many of you all do this. At 9 a.m. every Sunday morning, we gather to pray for the service and pray for the needs of the church. You're all invited. Come and pray with us. We're called to pray. To pray continually for outsiders. To pray watchfully for outsiders. To pray thankfully for the gospel. And to pray missionally that doors might be open. And that God might save the souls of men. So this is the first step of evangelism. <laughs> Sorry, kids. Um, we're actually, I have it right now, but we're going to wait till next time to cover the second step because we already went 
long here. This is the first step of evangelism, that we would talk to God about people. Would you do that this week? Would you talk to God about people? Would you pray continuously? Would you pray watchfully? Would you pray thankfully? Would you pray evangelistically that God would open up doors? There's some of you here who are, who probably would say, you know, I'm not a Christian, and this whole sermon's made me really uncomfortable. I feel like a project, right? But you're not. You are precious to God, and you are precious to us, and that's why we pray for you. Let me end with this. Um, in the Old Testament, there were several, there was the camp of Israel that traveled around and, and the city of Jerusalem. And, and one of the worst things that could happen is that you would be made an outsider, that you would be put outside the camp. And there's some reasons you would be put outside the camp. Sometimes you would be put outside the camp because of a spiritual uncleanliness, some sin that you had done. Maybe it's because of a physical uncleanliness, and they would put you outside the camp. And outside the camp was not a good place to be. You were away from your family. You were away from your friends. But more than anything, you are away from the special presence of God. And you're away from the special presence of God because of the holiness of God. All of us were born outsiders. All of us decide the All of us deserve to be outside the camp, away from the presence of God, away from the people of God, away because of the holiness of God. And yet Jesus Christ in his great love, when he was on the inside, when he was in heaven, he came to the earth to become an outsider that we might become insiders. In Hebrews chapter 13 The writer talks about this way. It says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Jesus was put outside of the camp so that you could be brought into the presence of God, into a relationship with God. And our prayer is that you would trust in Christ for your salvation, that you would know this great love that God has in sending his own son to die for you, to woo your heart to himself, that you might know him and spend all eternity with him. And this is our motivation for evangelism. Because Christ sacrificed everything for us. What is it for us to sacrifice time and effort and money that outsiders might become insiders and know the great blessings of God? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you in prayer, pleading for those who do not know you. God, I pray for those who are here who do not know you. That you would make them alive. That they would experience forgiveness of sins and new life. That though you say they're lost, they would be found. That although you say they're blind, they would now see the truths of your good news, God. Lord, I pray that those who have been weighed down by their sin, weighed down by by their unworthiness, 
that they would see how worthy Christ is in their place. Pray for those here that, that, that come and, and don't know you because they don't think they need you, God. Pray that you would show them the depth of their sin and their need for a Savior and that they would know that great joy of our salvation, that you have died for us and that there is nothing that we can do but simply cling to you. Help us to this end, God. Change the hearts of men. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for the church of Jake as well. And I pray for the church of Green Bay. That we would become a church that seeks the lost. That we would be a church that prays for the lost by name. And that we would be a church that would be a part of your harvest of souls. That would know you and enjoy you for all eternity. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.